Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Today, we're going to continue our series of podcasts on living with intention, and we're just about to enter the third month of 2020, but we still want to reflect on what are the things that we can do that move our story forward. But before we get to that, I do want to say that the registration for the Blueprint Retreat is still open, and there's three or four spots left. Uh, And I cannot wait. We're going to spend time together in the beautiful mountains of Colorado with friends who are contemplating many of the questions that those of you who faithfully listen to this podcast are asking. So we're going to explore the breadth and depth of the Christian tradition and discover how being faithful to that has the power to send us beyond itself. We'll talk about how we can navigate doubts and questions without getting cynical, because God knows we have enough of that. Um, how to interact with the Bible on its terms. And that's that's just going to get us started. So I would love to have you join with us. To register, you can go to michael-hidalgo.com backslash events. The Blueprint Retreat is at the top of the page with the registration link. And again, it would be so much fun to gather with you. But for today, I want to begin by asking... How many of us have a voice within that reminds us of the things that we should have done or the things that we wish we had done? Or maybe it's the moments that we look back on and wish we had responded differently, moments where we experience regret and just wish we had like one more do-over. This way of thinking is tied to our lives and the story we tell ourselves about our lives, but it doesn't have to be this way. And today we're going to talk about what it can look like to flip the script in our life, to acknowledge the deep longing inside of you and me and all of us for something to change. And we have with us today, Elise Snipes. Elise is a therapist, a speaker, a retreat leader, the host of the Trailer Cast podcast. Elise, welcome to the Changing Faith podcast. Thanks, Michael. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) And we're, you're already laughing because... (laughs) I'm trying not to swear. (laughs) (laughs) We did. We had the talk. This is a clean podcast. Michael sat me down. He's a good pastor, you guys. Sat me down and told me what would happen if I did. (laughs) Let's talk first about just getting to the place we're at now. Setting up the interview. There was everything stood in our way. It started with a burst eardrum. Mm, That's true. Sprained ankle. Sprained ankle. And then... Mm -hmm. Like you had legitimate reasons for canceling, but then there was a good snow day. So I canceled to go skiing and then you couldn't get online. It's true. This is life. I know, but we're here. We are here Uh, and we're going to be in sync. Yeah. And we actually have dreamed about doing a podcast together around Mm -hmm. humor and comedy Mm -hmm. and laughter. Yeah. I think it's less like taking the wheels off and just allowing it to be completely uncensored and I think people would just enjoy just sitting in and listening to that. <laughs> like, you I, know, when a table is having a really good time at a restaurant and you're like, oh man, what are those guys talking about? That would be, yeah, we could, we should just start a whole new podcast. You and I are co-hosts <laughs> interviewing funny people. Yeah. I mean, we're hilarious. <laughs> oh my goodness. That would be so good. We could just call it the loud table podcast or something Perfect. like that. Okay. So there you go. You heard it, it first guys. right here mm-hmm. on the changing faith podcast. Um, <laughs> So besides you uh, being one of the funnier people I know and having an, uh, a great laugh that makes other people laugh, <laughs> what did I miss in the intro that our listeners should know about you? Yeah, um, personally, I've been married for 10 years uh, to my very 
sweet high school sweetheart. Um, and then we have three kids that are just crazy and wild and funny, seven, six, and four. So I'm in the throes of motherhood, which I think really informs really everything I'm doing because um, I'm just couched in humility <laughs> yeah. all day long. And your youngest, uh, I've told you before, is my mm-hmm. spirit animal. She is. So she's, I believe she's actually like the world's spirit animal because she in like, and I don't mean like the secular world, but I mean like pe- people say that strangers will be like, your, your daughter. I'm like, I know she's like, she's free. She's free. Um, <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. So <laughs> yeah, we could probably talk about kids and parenting for a while. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll come up because, um, I mean, we are talking about flipping the script and I know yeah. as a parent. Yeah. There are countless moments I can look at in my uh, almost 17 years of being a parent now, which sounds crazy, um, of, oh, I wish I could do that again, or, oh, I wish I could go back and that could last longer, or how are they growing up so fast? Mm -hmm. How is my son taller than me? Mm -hmm. Which is not a big deal. I'm like (laughs) five, nine with shoes on. With shoes on. Um, Yeah. Nice boots. But but yeah, so there's there's a lot of that, but I want to talk about... um, there's a lot of things that you do mm-hmm. uh, in addition to being a, a mom, as you talked about, yeah. and a wife, but um, you're also a therapist, but mm-hmm. what's what's the heart and your vision for the work that you do um, in all the things that you do? Yeah, I, I think accessibility would be like, if I could really put it into one word, is that if all people could have access to quality opportunity to take time, to take stock, of what has happened, what is happening, and what's going to happen. And I think a lot of the times this type of work is reserved for people that are in crisis. So people typically don't go to therapy until they are facing divorce, until someone's in addiction, until there's been um, a death in the family, until there's been crisis. And at that point, they're coming in for crisis counseling, for symptom management. And that's great. It's just, it's such a misuse though of the Mm. field of psychology. So if we could get this type of thinking and just again, like access just this information to people that are not in crisis, I think we could look a lot different. I think the story would be totally different. So I want to resource yeah. real people. And what are ways you're seeing that happen in, in healthy ways where you're seeing people show up who aren't in crisis, people who are maintaining their heart, their life, their soul, their, their relationships. Oh gosh. Okay. So when, whenever we are facing any form of like anxiety, depression, crisis or whatever, we're just limited in our ability to like show up in all these other like places within our life because so much of our energy, attention, thinking, feeling is resourcing the crisis. So I started like kind of pursuing people that were like just regular people, right? Like I usually, I usually say like normalized therapy, like therapies for normal people, like normal people that aren't facing massive crisis And when I watch people get a simple tool, the shift is so massive because all their Mm. energy can go towards that rather than also putting out all the mini fires. So it's just a totally different ballgame when it comes to people being able to take, like receive the pass and run for the touchdown. Like they can do it. Yes. Yeah. And I think you bring up the important point that there there have been moments where I've said publicly, uh, actually many moments where I've talked about my therapist, my counselor mm-hmm. being in, uh, in therapy. Mm-hmm. And there are some who are like, Oh, this pastor has problems, which <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Those are there. <laughs> um, but there is something to 
like not showing up. And uh, my wife and I have talked about this, not showing up to a therapist and like save our marriage now. Totally. But um, consistently going in for tune-ups, like, mm-hmm. hey, there's there's this rhythm and this one part feels off or like yeah. things aren't running right. So let's let's talk about that before you have to just total the car. Right. So what happens is when we don't address what has happened, where we create new problems because the original injury was never appropriately healed. So you can think about that in relationship to any sports injury you've ever had. Like at first it's like, oh, I tweaked my neck, but now my shoulder's off. And then because my shoulder's off, I'm kind of like, I'm adjusting over here. I'm compensating for this injury. And then now I'm in physical therapy because now that my shoulder's off and my hip is off and we just get so out of alignment and we chase all these external or exterior symptoms and we're not getting back to what actually happened. Hmm. So my thought when we go into like, like immersion style work, which is kind of what you referenced actually in your blueprint retreat, instead of one Sunday, one hour at a time, come do this blueprint retreat and let's look at the whole story. And when we go to therapy, we do immersive experiences. It's like, instead of just taking one little tiny sentence from this whole narrative, we can, we put the whole narrative on the table and begin to understand it from a bird's eye perspective. So like a 50,000 foot view. And then we drop down and look, get in the dirt with it. And if we're able to look at the macro and the micro parts of our story, uh, we're able to actually create change that's sustainable from the original point of injury rather than symptom management or chasing what I think is happening now. Mm, yeah. And, and you, you mentioned, I want to talk about the retreats that you mm-hmm. lead, um, mm-hmm. but you mentioned this immersive experience and it made me think of how the, I, I know so many people who have tried therapy Yeah, and they'll go for an hour a week. They might even have a great relationship with their therapist, but then they leave mm-hmm. and there's no, there's, there's nothing happening outside of that. Totally. And so what, what's the role of relationships, community to use uh, a word that I think mm-hmm. sometimes is overused, but what's the role there for how to like, what are healthy ways to even engage therapy? I think that that the burden almost falls on both parties. And I don't know if that's talked about either. The, there's a lot of, okay. So therapists need to decide how they're going to be doing their work how much they care about doing their work, how much they're willing to get in the arena, the way that Brene Brown talks about, like, what are we going to do here? Mm -hmm. And then also kind of debunking for regular people what therapy could actually look like. So nothing has to be wrong for you to go and you can go and ask for what you need. And I think that in and of itself is a totally different way that we approach relationship. We don't typically invest or move towards vulnerability when nothing's wrong. And we don't, regularly ask for what we need. So Mm. even in that type of dynamic of I'm going to show up for me because, and I'm going to say, could you help me just move through some pieces that continually come up for me or my childhood or things that are just, I I can't avoid it anymore. Or it's, I don't know, maybe just you see what you see. (laughs) Let me know. Yeah. Where that might come into community is it depends on the health of the community that you've built. Hmm. And I think sometimes that takes a lot of work too. Because <laughs> we're people. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's, uh, for those of you listening, we, we've from time to time talk about taking our next step. Mm-hmm. This is one of the things I think that as long as this idea of, having a therapist or going to see a therapist remains a stigma 
um, it doesn't, it's not going to take root in, mm-hmm. in our own lives. I heard a quote, um, uh, an intensive that I was actually at this weekend around healing, um, that said something like when you share your vision with a wise man, they will give it back to you. When you share it with a man wearing a mask or share it with a fool, they mm. will mock you. And I think there's something to that. Like when you begin even thinking about, like you said, you know, your group of friends or who you're yeah. hanging out with. Um, it's one thing to have a group of people you can go to a restaurant with and laugh yeah. hysterically with. Sure. But there's also the sense of like, do I have people in my life where I can sit down and say, this is what I'm working through. This is That's what I'm right. talking about. This is what I'm discovering. That's right. Um, and I found like in my own life, I've had incredible people um, sit down with me in a therapeutic context. Yeah. But the real, what, what I discover is the real work and change happens outside of that context. Mm. So um, go ahead. Yeah. I think it's like um, maybe orthodoxy and orthopraxy. So there's, you know, the like right belief and the right practice. Mm-hmm. And I think our right beliefs get figured out in the room with a therapist or a guide or a pastor or someone. And then the practice or like the, the way that those things take life is in the community, right? So it's like the saying, yes. right? It's the other way of saying that. Like it's the, it's the beauty of what happens when we're actually together. So I think there's a both and. I think sometimes we need someone who's a little bit farther ahead or has, like you, like I'm not going to go to someone's random thoughts on the Bible, but I would trust your schooled, <laughs> like experienced thoughts and experiences. Yeah. And so I think because of that, I'd be willing to let you into my story because you you know more than me. And I think that's the beauty of a guide that should usher me back to community. Yeah. And, and let me make one, uh, thank you for, for those words, but let me make w- one comment um, for those of you listening about, uh, you, you mentioned seeing a therapist mm-hmm. and a pastor, nothing wrong with visiting a pastor. Um, but one thing I would really encourage you who are listening to, to ask, if you're going to see a pastor regarding your story, your life, mental health, ask them before you begin <laughs> what their education is mm-hmm. and what their perspective is on therapy. Mm-hmm. Because um, some of you listening have probably sat with me over the years, and I will tell you very quickly, I'm not a therapist. There's a reason why therapists have to go through 2,000 hours of training after two-plus years of schooling. Mm-hmm. Um, I will walk with you. I will cheer you on. I will support you, but I'm not I'm not a therapist. Mm-hmm. And I say that not as a caution, maybe just as a, maybe it's something important to know that there are some pastors who may not say that to you and for, for whatever reason. And I do think that's, at a, that's an important thing to make sure that, um, yeah, we're, we're respecting the, the, the craft and the, the, uh, the work like someone like Elise does. And you you do more at least than just sit with uh, individuals one-on-one. Yeah. You both do workshops and you do weekends mm-hmm. that are focused on helping people get unstuck. So can you tell us a little bit about yeah. that and what you think often makes people or gets people to a place where they feel stuck? Yeah, totally. Um, <clears throat> okay. So what I thought was if people are only coming into therapy because they have a problem. What if before we got there, we could have an immersive experience where we have the opportunity to really look at our lives, where we come from, our identity, what's made us who we are, what keeps us from ourselves, what keeps us from other people, um, 
looking at the story without it being a crisis. Mm-hmm. And if we can do that together in a small group, then we'd probably be able to almost keep people out of therapy, like in a, <laughs> I know it's ironic, but in a really healthy way that if we do this work before crisis, it's preventative. So the retreats that I lead are a, they're a, they're a deep dive. Like I, I think I was getting a little bit bored with every time there's a thing, then people want to come back in. And it's like, right. But honestly, if you could just, can we, can we just spend a weekend together? And if we could just do that, then you're not going to keep coming back every week and we'll just take care of it and then you'll be free. So I think it was almost out of my own irritation at the way that therapy has always been done. And I, the model felt so old, archaic, and that maybe no one ever really thought about it. Like, why do, what is a 50 minute hour? Why do we have that? What's the point of that? It, what is the best frequency? Why do we meet people once a week? Like, what is all this? So I started asking questions and unpacking the way mm. in which therapy has been sold, both to the therapist and the client. And I thought, well, I don't know that that's actually like the, the way that has the client's best interest at heart. It feels like there might be some alternative like pressures or needs being, so any, for whatever that's worth. I need to unpack it and get back to what's the best way for me to deliver and invite people into an experience that I know will produce change. And it's that stuck feeling because, again, we're talking about normal people. Normal people can feel stuck. That doesn't mean that they've had Mm -hmm. a radically traumatic experience. It doesn't mean that they've something's wrong. I think we come to these pivot points and we have to decide, am I going to take my mask off and go forward? Or am I going to look the other way and just, you know, just stay in the, almost like the lullaby in the way that my life kind of keeps me semi-asleep? Yeah. And when you say st- stuck, let's mm-hmm. c- can you unpack that? Or maybe even just give an example of, uh, of ways in which, common ways in which you see people getting stuck? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think the majority of people that are coming to weekends are people that are resourced, curious motivated and need some reorienting. So the variety of age has been like 19 to 73, the, which is like fascinating, right? It also, I'm sorry. I, that, I just expected a smaller demographic. Yeah. So 19 years old to mm-hmm. 73 years old have been at your retreats. Correct. <laughs> but isn't that I don't amazing? Know why that's funny. It's, yeah, amazing it's amazing to me, right? Because I hope the, when I'm 73, I'm still doing think, hard work. This is, that was when, so when, when she was there, everyone was like, felt the sense of like, one, I have time. There's time for me to to do my work. Yeah. Yeah. And two, how freaking brave because, so I I'm 35 at 35. I think, okay, if I can take care of these things now then I'll have X amount of years in front of me, will I get to enjoy the fruits of that work? So at 73, what is the impetus? Like what takes you through the door that says, I'm going to do these, this hard work and look at my life? That is a brave soul. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it reminds us that all the work we're doing now is just going to uncover more and deeper work yeah. when we're 73. <laughs> and, okay, and a deeper fruit and deeper connection, right? Because like the point yeah. of work, oh, yeah. I, mean, I mean, we can take the Enneagram for a second as well, but like <clears throat> is more connection and more enjoyment and more freedom. And it's not like, great, now I've just got to sign up for more work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why are we doing this? Uh-huh. So, uh, you, I'm sorry, we got off on the mm-hmm. 73-year-old. That, that uh, right. caught my attention. But <laughs> okay. I was asking, 
uh, yeah. Examples of people who are stuck. Um, I think people that feel stuck feel like, is this normal? Mm, is this what marriage is supposed to feel like? Hmm. Is this what motherhood is supposed to be like? Am I in the right career? I'm, I'm empty nesting and I don't know who I am anymore. I'm finding that I'm, I'm afraid to be repeating patterns that I saw growing up. I don't know if I'm in patterns or if this is me. I don't, I'm not just like these kind of these micro questions and they're ready to ask them. Cause I yeah. think a lot of us are in the asking, but we're not always ready to like ask them in community or, or look into the answer. And what happens when you get people together who begin asking these questions mm -hmm. in a room with someone other than just a therapist, but with other mm -hmm. people sitting around, what's the energy like with that? I just want to cry. Actually. It's like, um, it's not just me. Um, I think there's a relief. I honestly, I think there's the, every, each weekend there's been this sense of like, Oh, I thought I, like, I thought I was the only one, or I thought something was wrong mm. with me, or I, I was alone. Yeah. And now I'm not. And the relationships that are built when you come together for like a common exploration are, they're so deep. They're so, it's so deep. Yeah. Yeah. And again, for those of you listening, this is one of the things that, the, uh, I'm not sure, I may not be paying attention, but I don't hear it often spoken of with regard to vulnerability mm -hmm. is it's not only good for you, but when you're vulnerable, you actually open up way for countless people to, to walk through the door or down the path that you've walked down. And all of a sudden there's like a whole tribe. Mm -hmm. And now you're like, like what you just said, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I see so often with people who are courageous is courageous people are often um, people are drawn toward them and toward one another that yes, courage can lead to loneliness at some level, but it can also, it's a powerful tool for community. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's something that, that, that uh, you're doing both with your workshops and with your weekends. What are the, um, when people show up, you guys talk about, um, get ways people can get up or unstuck. Mm -hmm. um, is that what you walk people through? Like what is, what are these weekends and these yeah. workshops okay. like? Okay. So specifically I created a, mm -hmm. like a, a custom curriculum where I really sat down and I thought if I could walk people through everything that I would love to give every single one of the clients I've ever worked with from start to finish. And then I put that into a curriculum that we do in a Friday, Saturday, Sunday model. This year, I'm also expanding that into like a week long experience. We're going to Bali, actually. So there's going to be, um, ba like in uh -huh. Indonesia, Bali. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, do you need a yeah. do you need a Bad pastor carrier? in residence? Yeah. <laughs> I'll be so. like, I'm not a therapist. Go talk to Elise. I'm going to go surfing. <laughs> I'm going to be in the water, connecting with nature, please. Um, okay, so just like that, but just like that response, like Bali, are you kidding me? Like, that's like, that's what I'm wanting is for people to have to get out of their comfort zone and be like, I want to go to Bali. I'd love to go to Bali in a therapeutic retreat where I'd have the opportunity to, to travel. That's what we're doing when we go into our story, we're traveling and we're mm. going to go and see what it looks like when I'm outside of my normal context. Cause then it's really exposed, right? I start to see where I go for comfort. I start to see uh, my patterns, uh, how I'm integrating into a group or not. 
But the curriculum that I specifically built is a, it's a bird's eye lens the first day on um, kind of like our messaging. So the family that I was born into had a culture that existed before I got there based on their socioeconomic status, their race, their religion, um, the type of house we lived, if anybody had addiction, um, if we were patriarchal, if like what, what were the things that formed me before I got there? And it's kind of like a goldfish. Like when you ask the goldfish, like, how's the water? And they say, what water, <laughs> right? It's like yep. what they've yep. always been swimming in. And so we take our direct and non-direct messages from those experiences. What your dad did say to you and what he didn't say to you that you needed him to say. Um, the messages you longed to receive from your mom and didn't receive and the messages you wish you wouldn't have heard that you did receive. Um, what about teachers and coaches and experiences? What about love? What, what things began to form me as an individual? And we begin to collect the different versions of ourselves. So literally the age I was when I received that message from my dad, the age I was when I received that message from my mom. And then because I received that message, what I've chosen to do is taken that subconsciously said, that's true. Because as children, we interject or we absorb a message. We don't think that can't be true. We think, yeah, I am, I am that bad, or I am not worthy of being listened to, or I am too loud, or I, you know, I am annoying, or we, we, we accept it, we believe it. And mm -hmm. so then because those core beliefs are established, we then begin to want to protect ourselves from ever having that experience again. So we become less loud, or we become more masculine, or we become something other. And then we get so far away from that original identity because we've built a life of protection in order to avoid the pain that happens when the people that are supposed to be closest to us see something and expose us and it hurts. So mm -hmm. we unpack the wounds and we unpack the messaging that we've been responding to without realizing it. And now that we see it and we're adults now, we're not six, seven, eight-year-old kids, we're able to say, what do I need to do with that message? And mm. is there a different core belief that would allow me to kind of really come into a congruent sense of who I am. Yeah. That's just and the what, first day. <laughs> that's just day one. That's day yeah. one. And then where do you go from there? Is it like yeah. renouncing those things or is it, I'm going to build a new story? Because so, you talk, you use the, the phrase um, uh, flipping the script. Yeah. I mean, you've used this phrase when, yes. when we've all been hanging yeah. out. Um, yeah. So what does yes. that look like? Um, okay, so I the other thing that's important to me in therapy is that it has to actually like produce change. I, just, I don't want just people to have insight. Their ha insight has to produce action. Otherwise, we're just getting more intelligent, but nothing's actually getting different. So hmm. we do an experiential timeline, which means that we literally were mapping out the experiences that we've had in our life, core people, core beliefs, core experiences. And then we walk through our timeline. Now, what that does a couple things. I know you're going to get into this, I think, in a couple of weeks with um, brain and the brain and how it works and what we remember. Mm -hmm. But as we walk and move through our experiences, we're not sitting on a couch just talking about it. We're engaging our whole body. There's a different um, rewiring that occurs when we, as an adult, walk through our timeline, the experiences that we've had as children, where we were powerless. Because children are so powerless. You know, they're just so stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And you hear the word stuck again? It's like, you can almost feel it. Like, whoa, I was so stuck. And there's these stuck things that are stuck in ages that are frozen mm -hmm. in time, right? 
And we're hoping to unfreeze the eight-year-old little girl who's, a, who's afraid or the 14-year-old boy who's shy. Like we're trying to unfreeze those things, unstuck them, and then keep moving. And so we walk through and we look at the different core beliefs that have been established. And then the flipping of the script comes into um, one of my earliest core beliefs was it's not safe to be seen. That was a core experience and not something that was spoken to me, but I surely took that message from what was occurring around me in my environment. Oh, yeah. So to flip the script, I think, Elise, is it true now that it's not safe to be seen? No, that's, I mean, it's not, it's not true, but I believe it. Okay, so is there a different belief? Like, what is true? And if I can begin to work through what is true now and or what did that little girl need to believe in order to be most herself – and I start to go through some of those questions around, can an authentic belief be restored there that would allow mm. me to not have to hide? That's just, that's just mine. That's not everyone's. That was my core belief and my core experience. Yeah. And then putting feet to it. And the third day is, is based completely on action, which is, so if it is safe for me to be seen, and if my new core belief is almost like a phrase of like, here I am, because core beliefs don't have to be like a declaration. They can just be a sense of, what I need to say in response to that core belief is like, like a, like a, like a chest puff, like chin up, like here I am. And that like became like my visceral response to that. And so what would it look like for me to lean in and step forward and operate of that on that belief rather than the primary, the original injury? Cause the, the first belief is injury oriented. It's not from yeah. health. Yeah. And so we have to flip the script on what is hurt because those things are creating a, a false self. Yeah. So is there a sense in which when you talk about like what well, you used yourself as an example, mm -hmm. at least it's not safe to be seen. Mm -hmm. Is there something within the human psyche, our brains, our wiring, however you want to put it, where you learn at an early age to hide mm -hmm. and that whatever it is telling you to hide is protecting in mm -hmm. some way Yeah, who like that little girl, as you talked about, totally. is that what's happening? Yes. Yeah. And it's our strategies to survive mm -hmm. childhood are beautiful. And our work in healing is not to reject the beliefs that we've had, but to incorporate in, in like, thank you self that knew it was safer to hide rather than, than to continue to be hurt. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to hide anymore. You're not in that house anymore. You're, you're Okay. And it is safe to be seen. And so healing should be integrative, not there's not separatism. And I think that's the other thing we tend to do is we tend to say, that's bad. I'll put it in this binary category of bad belief and then good belief or things that hurt me. And so that's bad. And I'll put that away and I'll like launch my new self. That's self-help. That's <laughs> like yeah, so yeah. different, right? For therapy, you want to bring it all home. Everything is welcome. Every strategy I had to survive was necessary and I'm thankful for it. Mm -hmm. Period. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not that little girl anymore. My now self needs other working strategies. So I need to retire the strategies that maybe I've been using without realizing it. So I'm a retreater. I will retreat uh feels like a like a squish back, <laughs> like a yeah, yeah. jellyfish back or whatever. <laughs> um and my own heart work has been, I didn't realize I was doing that, but I could feel like a constriction in my heart where I'm like, be careful or people hurt you. Um, and I would, I could feel it literally in my chest, like my heart, like almost a breath holding. And mm. 
without exploring that, I wouldn't have realized that I'm operating on the belief still that people aren't safe or you're hurt if you let people really see who you are. So even as an adult, there was still like an, an ancient pattern that was causing me to do what I know how to do really well, which is whoop, back up, cover up. Yeah. I love the idea that you just talked about that the, these things were in a sense, you didn't use the word needed, but they were needed to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. But as we grow, we're either going to continue living like children mm -hmm. or we're going to step into our full self and our, 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 uh, life as a mature adult. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that for listeners, I'm thinking literally think through people, you know, maybe people that actually bother you the most and you might see childlike or teenage like behavior on a grown adult. And it's can be triggering to be like that person who's a frequent <clears throat> victim, that person who something's always wrong, that person who uh, doesn't play well with others. <laughs> like you can see yeah. it, you know, it's like these are child behaviors. You know, it was interesting the retreat that I just went on mm -hmm. was dealing with some of this. That was like a part of it. Cool. Um, and as we were leaving Denver, uh, flying to Palm Springs, because the retreat was in the south, southern part of Joshua Tree, we were told that we were um, possibly going to be interrupted by up to 60 minutes because of the arrival of our current president in Air Force One mm -mm. in the Palm Springs airport. Mm -mm. And I laughed <laughs> to myself. And I texted my wife and said, I'm going on a retreat to talk about um, a descent into soul to become a like a mature, nurturing, generative adult. And I'm literally, in this case, being interrupted by the real President Donald Trump. Like, not like figurative. It's not like there was an article I read that got me like, he's actually blocking my path. I can't. And I can't. So I texted her that. And then oh. I was reminded of a, the, a quote about him that I always, I, I frequently bring up because he's become such a center, a cultural center for so many people that we orbit around. And they said, Donald Trump is a young boy who's just waiting for his father to embrace him and say, I love mm -hmm. you and I'm proud of you. Mm -hmm. And it was actually spoken by a really good friend of his. Yeah. Yeah. And it is that like he... I mean, he among so many people in government and in leadership and pastors yeah. are an example of this. Yeah. Of a, I mean, an extreme example, but it's an example of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Perfect example. And so public, right? But you can almost, mm -hmm. I, sometimes I look at his face and I say that too. Like, I feel like that would be like one of my kids would do when they, they're like, look what I did, right? And yet he's like a grown person and he's not doing like, you're not doing it the right way. And so you're kind of like... It's like when your kids are little, they try to put away their laundry and they just make a giant mess. And then they're like super proud of themselves. <laughs> That's what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, there, there's some, there's something there. And I, I like how you talked about, um, the people that drive you nuts because <laughs> what I found is the people that drive me the most crazy are often the people that are simply exposing mm -hmm. the work that I still have to do in me. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. because if you really like, if you're listening and you, I don't know who you're thinking about, maybe it's Nancy two cubicles over who <laughs> Nancy just brings in like, yeah, the leftovers uh. that rot and eats them every day at lunch that Nancy, um, or as Pete Holmes would say, Diane, <laughs> um, whatever it is that when you find something in someone that bothers you, um, 
take some time to take a step back and really begin to process why, why it's irking you. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'm learning in my, in real time, cause I I'm trying to do this as much as possible. is like, Oh my gosh, this is about me. It's okay. not about Nancy or mm-hmm. Diane. <laughs> okay. So the, I go through a couple of questions with that, with my Nancy's. Um, what is this about? What else is this about? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> right? Because at first I'm like, what's it about? Because that Nancy sucks. That Nancy yeah. isn't aware of other people. That Nancy is so self-absorbed. Blah, blah, blah. So that Diane talks so loud. <laughs> Karen. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, right? <laughs> what else is it about that I feel like I can't say anything? That I feel like I'm a jerk if I say, Karen, put a lid on it. Right? Like all of a sudden I'm bad if I don't like what's happening. So then I'm like, oh. So the what else is it about? When else has this has happened? When else have I felt this way? Mm. Mm. Wow. All of a sudden I'm thinking of three things, three other times. Okay. So does this have to do with Nancy and Karen and Diane? Or does this have to do with my, again, original injury, my first point of entry of when that behavior began to be frustrating and I was powerless Yeah. to resolve it? Say those questions again. What is this about? What is this about? What is this? What else is this about? Right. And I usually go into um, when else have I experienced this, and what do I need to do? Oh, that's good. Right. We should just end the podcast now. There and it get is. On folks. With laughing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, by the way, I love that we used <laughs> Nancy, Karen, and Diane. Diane. Those poor women. I know because you just think about. Let's be honest. White women in their probably mid to late fifties. Like, um, I got a visual. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> and I typically, I'm just going to say I, all the Nancy's and Karen's and Diane's that I know I happen to like. Yep. It's not about so. you. <laughs> it's about me. <laughs> oh my goodness. So you, let's go back to the work. Um, you're, you're talking about this flipping the script. Yeah. Um, what, what are some of the ways like for people who are listening, maybe they're already identifying ways, uh, or messages they've received. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, ways in which they can recognize, man, that's protected me. But what are some of the maybe even practices that mm-hmm. people Good. um begin to take with them? Yes, and uh, in a way to move forward toward healing. The number one thing that just jumped out of my head is anytime you face asking a why question, can you turn it into a what? Now, people tend to get into like chasing this ever elusive sense of why. Why do I feel this way? Why did that happen to me? Why? And it doesn't matter if you're not mm-hmm. going to do anything. So what is a more action-oriented approach to what has happened rather than why? Like why is unanswerable? Why? I don't know. I mean, life? I mean, what's like, what is that going to resolve for you? What has happened? What do I need to do now? And I think that mm. if we can move towards people actually experiencing change. Like, so let's get, actually do something. Let's actually get better. Then we, the why won't even be as much of like as angsty. So it's like, like a thorn in the side people want to chase. So if we find ourselves asking questions of why, would we be willing to invite a question of what, what does this Mm. mean for me? What does this say about me? What does it say about God? What does it say about others? What do I need to do? What's my role? Yeah. And, and so you do this work uh, over a weekend. Mm-hmm. What 
what have you seen with people who've engaged these weekends as they move forward down the road? Um, you know, yeah. years, cause you've been doing these now, what, yeah. two, yeah. three years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny. At first I thought I was like doing something wrong because people stopped coming to therapy. And so I like sent out a private survey in a sense of like, well, like just wanting to follow up on your experience after weekends. And, and people were like, yeah, no, I feel like I, I gain clarity here. And, and that just isn't an issue for me anymore. And I'm doing great. And it's like, <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you weren't coming back to therapy because like it wasn't a good experience for you. So I'm glad I got clarification. The <laughs> Bali trip is almost every single person, but one person is a returning weekends like alumni. So hmm. the the Bali retreat is like it's a it's a wild experience and it's a week long experience. Um, one of the most common bits of feedback I was getting from the people that were attending weekends was, "Wow, I like I never travel just for me, and it felt really good to actually go somewhere where I wasn't just going somewhere, but I was actually going to come back with something different and useful." And so then I thought, "Gosh, you know what? We don't really leave." And go like to exotic places. Like, what if we just hosted the super like ex- like extreme experience in a really cool, beautiful place? So, pushing myself too. That's amazing. Well, again, if you, I'm here for you. Thanks, so whatever, Michael, thank you. <laughs> whatever you might need from me in Bali, you can send your wife. Um, <laughs> Beth would love there, to go. <laughs> The only response that's going to make me sound good is to be like, you're totally right. And then she's going to listen to that's the why podcast. why I set you up like that. See, and Beth and I like... already talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> Joke's on you. It's oh, my, my podcast goodness. episode now. And <laughs> Yeah, this is going to be on the trailer cast. Well done. Well played. <laughs> yeah. um, what are, what so else? As, as we're yeah. thinking about 2020, um, we're still really in the first quarter of the year. Praise. Um, wh- what are some steps that you might offer our listeners or even me as you've done this with me before I've yes. said like, Hey, here's a challenge for you. Um, as we contemplate living yeah. with intention throughout the rest of this year. Yes. Don't do what everybody else is doing. <laughs> so spoken as a true Enneagram for, um, okay. I think that we tend to take a generalized idea of what wellness looks like, of what mental wellness looks like, of what spiritual wellness looks like. Some people need to actually get up and go faster. And some people need to slow down and some people need to stop altogether. And so I think that any approach to your wellness needs to be specific to your actual experience. And when we tend to like broad brush these ideas of how people are going to move forward or move differently in this year and be intentional, we all ascribe to the same thing. Mindfulness looks like this to me. Okay. Well, should everybody be doing that? Well, what if, what if mindfulness for a person who needs to have like physical input would look better if I was walking and I, or what if it was swimming? (laughs) What if I was skiing? Like what if I was able to take my spiritual practice, my mental wellness practice, it's the same thing and put it into a space that allowed me to actually get different. And Mm. so maybe being aware slash wary of what are the practices I have ascribed to because they're good for me and they might not actually be serving me because I'm missing what I actually need, which is, and that's where we have to kind of fill in the blank. It has to be a unique experience. Hmm. That's really helpful. Um, because so many of us, me included, you see what someone else is doing. You're like, Oh, I'm going to try that. Totally. And then, 
especially for people like me who grew up in an environment where failure is bad, you figure out really quickly it doesn't work for you and then you begin beating yourself mm-hmm. up for not doing it. Um, totally. We, I led a time of contemplation in silence um, without asking permission of the group. And <laughs> we did 15 minutes of silence and breathing. And when we were done, one of the women, uh, the first comment, she said, if that had gone one minute more, I'm not sure what I would have done, but I think I would have died. And everyone (laughs) cracked up laughing. So the next day we were back together and I said, hey, we're going to do this again. And she had, um, in a really healthy way, like said, hey, if we're going to do this again, do I have permission to go outside and sit eyes open? Mm looking at the trees and the mountains and, and I was like, well, yeah, of course you do. Yeah. And like, there was like two or three other people that got up and went outside with her and they mm-hmm. did, they all sat in different places, yeah. but like just the idea of mm-hmm. sitting eyes closed mm-hmm. 15 minutes with people didn't work for everybody. Correct. So what happens is we tend to think that if, well, if I'm going to be a part of this group, I have to do what the group is doing. And so then we yeah. lose self and go into group think, which is okay sometimes, but not all of the time. Mm-hmm. So there's a beautiful collectiveness that happens when we are able to merge and have a collective experience. But if we are joining God or having that type of experience, we're already a part of a collective consciousness right there, right? So right, yep. me inside the room, eyes closed, her outside looking at the mountains, um, someone journaling, someone whatever, right? We are already together. Yes, yes. And if you're a part of a group where everyone has to do the same thing and believe the same thing and agree with whoever's in charge. That's called a cult. Well, this is a thank you. I'm like, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we talked about this one we time have, too. We have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> we'll, we'll, part two will be coming in guys, but it's going to be um, an explicit version. <laughs> and you get to interview me yeah. about, okay. uh, yeah, my, why I've had two different therapists ask me if my parents were a part of a cult, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which now you as the listeners are so curious. So curious. <laughs> a little debate there. Yeah. And now they're like, wait, am I in a cult? Yes. Well, you know, these are all questions that we should continue to ask, but um, tell us more about your work. Mm-hmm. How can our listeners learn more about your work? You've already yeah. talked about the weekends. By the way, yeah. if you're listening, I highly recommend checking out Elise's weekends. Thanks. Um, she's also doing workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, do you still have spots left for Bali? I do have spots left for Bali. Um, we're going to North Carolina, um, a beachfront mansion on, in Holden Beach in March. And then we're going to Austin, Texas, so this gorgeous house in uh, Dripping Springs. And in May, and then we're also going to go to Bali for a whole long week in October. Um, the other thing I think was probably good to mention, I should have mentioned at the beginning, is out of a like need and desire to create a space for people to connect wherever they are, I started an, a group practice. So there are seven different people, including the spiritual directors, people that help you work with trauma and experiences you've had in your body, therapists, and every single one of us works online. So that means that oh, wow. moms don't have to pay for childcare to go to therapy. People don't have to leave their work and sacrifice what's going on at work in order to go take care of themselves. But wherever we are, we're able to have access to people um, that are there for us. So that's Radical Wellness, and it's RadicalWellness.co. And I think that would be, honestly, that's the best spot as far as people wanting to have these types of conversations with people that are just a little bit farther ahead on the path. Yeah. Brilliant. And mm-hmm. where can they find you specifically online? Um, elise snipes.com, E-L-Y-S-E, S-N-I-P-E-S. No relation to Wesley. 
Um, and then <laughs> on Instagram. I, I've never thought of that, surprisingly, oh, truthfully. No, I haven't. Well, sometimes when I say that, people are like, who? I'm like, oh, you're so young. <laughs> Poor Wesley. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. Instagram. Instagram, Elise Snipes underscore collective. Yeah. At least snipes yeah. underscore collective. Yeah. Well, I will be sure to put links to cool. all of that uh, on the, the podcast description. So if you're listening and you are driving, you're not texting, mm. and you're not writing this down, you can go back to the podcast uh, um, page later and you can find all of Elise's info. Elise, uh, my friend, thank you so much for being here on the it's Changing awesome. Faith podcast. Yeah, and you're doing that, Michael. You are. You're helping people and me, myself included, produce change when it comes to faith. And so thank you. I'm so excited to be oh, here. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate your work mm-hmm. and hope to see you soon. Okay. So, and thank all of you once again for joining with us for another episode of the Changing Faith Podcast. My hope is that as we continue to move through uh, the year 2020, we would do so learning that we don't need to stay stuck, that we can flip the script and learn new ways of looking at our stories, ways that will liberate us, not only to feel better, but to live better and truer lives. So that is it for today's episode. Once again, thank you for joining with us. And until next time, as always, much love and peace be with you.